Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. So, before we move on, um, I just want to do a quick recap on... I want to do a quick recap on what we've been talking about the past couple of Sundays, and that is about our about what it means to know Jesus, amen, what it means to, to truly have fellowship with him and a relationship with him, and these things have been stirring in me for many weeks, and I, a church, I believe so strongly, and even the way the Holy Spirit has just led this service from start to finish, there's such a time of, of preparation that he's getting his church ready, right, like things that we may be ministered, you know, before, 10, 15, 20 years ago, yes, they're all good, and yes, we can still minister those things, but there's a, there's a shift. There's something that he wants to speak through his churches. There's something that he wants to speak to his body that is getting them ready for his return. Amen? He wants us pre- pre- prepared. He doesn't want us caught napping. He doesn't want us stuck somewhere. He wants us to be participating. Amen? So, I, you know, it all goes back to, and like I said a few minutes ago, it all, was, it all comes back to truly knowing Jesus and what it means, right? And it, it, there's so much in that, and everything flows from here, that it's important that we understand these things. So we began to dig into the Word. We established that the only thing worth boasting about is knowing and understanding Him. Knowing and understanding him is the only thing worth, worth boasting about. Jeremiah 9.24 says this, But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You know, and the opposite of this is when we glory or give light to the worthless boasts of wisdom, riches, and might. And, you know, these are, which are the things that are listed in this portion of scripture. And we covered this many, uh, a couple of weeks back about what each of them meant and, and, and how important it is to stay away from boasting in those things. Let our pursuit of him be the thing that we invest our lives into. You know, church, Jesus, right? The fountain of living water. He is the true source of fulfillment. He is the true source of satisfaction. Amen? You won't find it anywhere else. You may find, you may find a counterfeit in something else, but it won't really satisfy. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. Jesus is the source of true fulfillment and satisfaction. What we need to ensure is that our hunger for him are not, and that our hunger is for him and not for the temporal things of this world. Everything in this world is temporal. Everything that we like partake or participate in and, and, and even the things that maybe, and even things that aren't bad, but we, they're temporal church. They're not, they're not eternal. Anything that is surrounded with him, anything that we're invested into his kingdom, that's what's eternal. And that's what we need to be invested into. Um, what your hunger is for is what you're going to partake of. You know, if you're hungry, you know, did you ever have a, a, a craving or a hunger for a particular type of food, right? And that's, you know, it's like, oh, that's, nothing will do. You'll maybe eat something else. If that particular food isn't, isn't available to you, you'll take something else. And it's just like, oh, no, that didn't cut it. It just didn't satisfy. I want this. I want the juicy steak. Or I want this, or I want that, or I want the chocolate, or whatever it may be that your, that your body wants in that moment. Until it gets that, that's what you're going to eventually partake of. Amen? What you hunger for is what you're going to partake of. So we need to be hungering after him. Because when our hunger is in the things of the world, we're going to partake of the wrong thing. Okay, so we need to be hungering for him. When we're hungry for the things of God, it keeps us in the place of knowing him. I-N-G. Present tense. Okay, when we're hungry for God, we'll keep, we'll keep coming. We'll keep coming for more and more and more. We'll stay in that place of fellowship, in that place of relationship, knowing him. It won't be a case of we once knew him or we once understood him. Like I was just, like the Lord was saying, that place of stagnancy. Maybe, you, you know, you were filled at one point, but it's just got to that place where it's murky or it's flat. It's kind of lukewarm. It's just sitting there doing nothing. It's collecting dust in the jug, the water. But you want it to be full, fresh, overflowing. Amen. Flushing things out that need to go. Right? It keeps us in the place of knowing him. It keeps you continually seeking after him, which will be, lead to true fulfillment. So we unpack the differences in the word know, K-N-O-W. You know, it doesn't mean the same thing. There's different meanings to the word know. One is a head knowledge. You know, you can know of somebody or you can know right? One is head knowledge, one is an experiential knowledge. And we looked at these two, right? One is personal, one is not. 
And what we've been referring to is an intimate knowing. It means to come to know, to recognize, to perceive, especially through personal first-hand experience. You know, our pursuit of him, and this is kind of where we left off last week, touching on these and laying a foundation for this stuff. Our pursuit of him should always lead to the first-hand experience. And remember we talked about renewing the mind and how renewing the mind, it's such an underrated topic in the, in the church today. Like as in it's not, even though like we teach on it a lot, even in Bible studies and different things and you'll hear us say it time and time again. But it's not just reading scripture. It's not just meditating on scripture. It's not just memorizing scripture. True renewal of the mind leads to an experience because if it doesn't, it's just head knowledge. If it doesn't lead to an encounter, it's just head knowledge, and it's the encounter that changes your life. You see, remember, and we looked at in, um, in John, where Jesus rebuked the Jews and, and the Pharisees because they said, he was saying, you search the scriptures to find eternal life, but you're refusing to come to me who the scriptures point to. You see, the scriptures point to the encounter, but until you get to the encounter, your life will not be transformed. You have to, you have to get to the encounter, the script, study in the scriptures is the start. It's the launching pad, which is what we said last week. If it only leads to head knowledge, not only will it not satisfy you, but it won't result in a changed life. Amen. I want to stay in the place of transformation. How about you? I want to stay transformed. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Right? So break out of the mold. The world will try and... The world has a mold and it tries to get you to be poured into that mold. But it says, do not, be trans do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. So the firsthand experience is what will change your life. But this experience or this encounter, it's not a one-off thing, right? It's not a, oh, and see, this is where it goes to, oh, I once knew him. Oh, yes, I once experienced in that. But now I'm, I'm in this place of, I don't really know what I'm doing or where I'm going. I'm just stagnant. I'm just, that's not where he wants us to be. It's not a one-off experience or a one-off encounter. It is continual, which means it's a fellowship. It's a fellowship. We looked at that word koinonia in the Greek. It's fellowship in the Greek. And I love this word, right? And it's, it means partnership contributory help, participation, sharing in, communion, spiritual fellowship, a fellowship in the spirit. Church, it's a close relationship with God. It's a fellowship within the spirit. It's a close relationship with him. It means to share in fellowship with him. And this part I love, sharing in what he is and who he is. That's what true fellowship looks like. You see, you can say, oh, I'm in fellowship with Jesus. But unless you're sharing in who he is and what he is, then it's not true fellowship. If you're sharing in what the world's offering, if you're partaking in what the world's offering, there's, there's issues in the fellowship there. Right? And it's not where he wants it to be. It's sharing in what he is and who he is. When we are in true fellowship with Jesus we stay in the place of transformation because our desires will match his desires. We become participators. Our hunger is not in the worthless boasts of life. It's not in the might. It's not in the wisdom. It's not in the riches. They're not found in those things. It's found in him. That's where our hunger is and that's what we end up partaking of. It's what pleases him and what promotes his kingdom. You know, we, get, we keep his word to the point of acting upon it. And you, you know, everything produces, faith produces a corresponding action. We keep his word, not just so we know it or we can say it, but we act upon it. It goes deeper than a head knowledge. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes an encounter. It becomes an experience. It goes deeper than just a head knowledge. And that's that intimate knowing that we've been speaking about. The living word, which is Jesus. Amen. This is Jesus. Did we know that? This isn't just a book. This is, this is, oh, church, I, the most treasured thing that I can think of. You know, apart, apart from having Holy Spirit on the inside, this thing here, this Bible, this Word of God, it sits on so many people's shelves. They don't, they don't realize the importance of it, the power of it. Amen? It's so, so important. This is Jesus himself. It becomes who we are. We become so intimate with Jesus that our lives begin to radiate who he is. This radiation of him or this reflection of him or this outpouring that, we've, uh, that we were desiring even here this morning, it doesn't happen with just a head knowledge. It can happen with just a head knowledge. 
It has to come from a, from a relationship, from a fellowship. It comes through personal, first-hand experience. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, and we'll read these verses again um, before we go into what the Lord wants to say here this morning. So 1 John chapter 1, and this is the, this is the verse that we were on for a couple of weeks that he kind of started me off in this, in this direction on was when I read these verses in the first few verses of 1 John 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship, say fellowship, fellowship, with us. And truly, and this is where our fellowship is, it's with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Church, knowing that we can have fellowship with Jesus and with God himself, that ought to fill you with joy. Because this is why John says he's even writing this. It's writing this so your joy will be full, that you have fellowship with God. You are in fellowship with Jesus. There is a progression that leads to an experiential knowledge and fellowship with him. Right? It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you need to invest into. Right? Don't get as far as hearing or just looking. So, and I love this. This is what he was kind of ministering to me was that you hear something. Right? It causes you to look. Right? You hear a, a loud noise. You're going to look in the direction you hear the noise from. Right? When you hear, it causes you to look. When you look and something gets your attention, then you begin to gaze upon it. It's a different type of seeing, right? It comes that, it goes um, hear, see, gaze upon, and touch. The gaze upon, the third one there, is, it comes from the Greek word theatron, which is where we get the English word theater. What do you do when you go to a theater? You're focused and fixed upon, you're gazing in one direction, you're looking at the screen or the stage or whatever it may be. You're not looking all around you. you. You may be seeing all around you, but you're only gazing in one place, right? The seeing, the hearing leads to a seeing. The, see, the seeing leads to a gazing upon, and the gazing upon leads to a touch. It becomes firsthand. It becomes personal. It becomes knowing him intimately. It becomes, I'm going to reach out and touch you, Jesus. I'm going to walk with you and fellowship with you that's where it leads to but don't get as far as the hearing or looking and then drift away don't get as far as renewing your mind to head knowledge and then you don't get the experience or you don't yield to the change that the holy spirit wants to make on the inside of you you may know a bit you may have a bit of knowledge you may know where a few scriptures are you may know even what they mean But that knowledge won't transform your life. So unless you get to the point of touching him, fellowshipping with him on a daily basis, you will never experience the fullness of who he is or what he has for you. I won't experience the fullness of who he is and I won't experience the fullness of what he has for me. I won't get there unless I'm fellowshipping with him. I won't get there unless I'm participating in him, unless I'm partnering with him, unless I'm fellowshipping with him in the spirit. It's a close relationship. We hear, we see, we gaze upon, we touch. What he started putting on my heart then, church, was how this fellowship is, is, is maintained. You know, your relationship with God should be the most protected thing in your life. Our relationship, our fellowship with Jesus is what we should protect the most. And it's not because something that we may do wrong that we lose it. That's not what I'm talking about right? I'm not talking about that. Jesus doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us hanging high and dry, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to protect your fellowship with God because when, how your fellowship with God is maintained is you walk in the light that he reveals to you. That's what it says in 1 John, right? Let's read that. Verse 5 of 1 John 1, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, which is koinonia, with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Right? So the moment that we stop walking in the light, and may I add here that that is a choice. You have a choice to walk in the light. The moment that you stop walking in the light, you're, you're yielding to darkness. There's no in-between. People say, oh, I'd never, oh, darkness, that's a bit harsh. That's a bit, I'm not, I'm not going out doing these dark, dark things. If you're not yielding to the light that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you through the fellowship with him, you're yielding to darkness. Anything that's not of God is darkness, right? So this fellowship is maintained the, the, as we continue to walk in the light. And we do that by allowing Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. It's a journey, church. It's a walk. You know, you may say something and you may get a, a prompting and you'll be like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't like that. Don't speak to them like that. Or mind your anger there. Or mind this or mind that. Or maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's this. Maybe the, it, there's, it doesn't have to be blatant sin, right? But it's when Holy Spirit is showing you things, teaching you things, forever molding you into the image of Jesus. Because you know what? That's the goal. That's where we are. None of us, none of us look completely like Jesus, right? Until we get our glorified body and we're fully redeemed, church, right? There's always going to be something. There's always going to be the flesh that we're contending with. But our job is to put the flesh under, yield to the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit and not the flesh, and become more like Jesus in everything we do. We do that by yielding to the Holy Ghost on the inside as he's showing us things, maybe pruning a few things, right? Show, showing the light on things that you didn't see before. Where there's light, there can be no darkness, right? There can be no hidden parts. He knows, he knows your whole heart. There's no parts hidden from him, right? And he shines the light on those things. Your fellowship is maintained with him as you're yielding to that light, right? So the most important thing that we need to do is protect our fellowship with God. Our fellowship with Jesus is what truly satisfies, and it produces a joy like no other. So in this maintenance, right, this is important, right? In order for us to get to that point of true satisfaction, who wants to be truly satisfied? Amen. Amen. In order to get to that place of true satisfaction, our desires have to change. Because remember I said a few minutes ago, what you hunger for is what you're going to partake of. Your desire has to change. He is the fountain of living water. And our thirst must be after him. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes here about thirsting after him, what it truly means, right? And many times people desire the fellowship with Jesus and what it produces, right? They desire the fellowship or they want to be there at that point. They maybe see it in other people's lives and they're like, I desire to be there. I want to be there, Lord. I want to be thirsty for you, but I'm still thirsty for these other things. I want to be in that place of, of true fellowship with you, right? And many times people desire the fellowship with Jesus, but in order to have a true thirst for him, you must first fully detach yourself from the world. There has to be a detachment from the things of the world, right? Or, or you're going to thirst after those things and not him, right? And First John talks about this, and that's what we're going to look at here, right? If we live our lives submitted unto holiness it produces a thirst that only he can satisfy. But if you live your life submitted unto unrighteousness, you're going to go for the counterfeit thirst quenchers, should I say. You're going to go for the counterfeit waterways of this world to quench your thirst instead of the fountain of living water. But if you're submitted unto holiness, nothing else can quench that thirst, only him right? So the desire has to change. You can't be thirsty for him without first submitted unto holiness, right? So a few weeks ago, I mentioned that, that the word says, and remember in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, if you want to pop it on the screen there, it says, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, it says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and honed themselves cisterns, Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So this is speaking of Jeremiah was prophesying, speaking forth God's case, case against Israel. God's case against his people. They had come from, Jesus, from God being their satisfaction, right, to finding their thirst, quenching their thirst in other areas, in other things other than him, idolatry and unrighteousness and whatever, right? So they had come from that place of allowing him to quench their thirst to then 
building these broken cisterns, right? They had forsaken him. The broken cisterns that we create with the pleasures or desires of the world may satisfy temporarily, but they can't hold water. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a time, but it also says the wages of sin is death. It will always produce death. It may not be physical death, but it's the effects of death. So it, it brings things into your life that you don't want to have, right? So it, there may be pleasure in it for a while. You may be able to get a quick quench of thirst from these broken cisterns, but then they can't hold water. They're broken. They're not designed to quench our thirst. He is. Okay? Jesus is the fountain of living water, like we said, and he never runs dry. There's no, oh, there's, you've just had enough now. Like, he never runs dry. We need to get to the place of being dry to the things of the world. Be dry to the things of the world. You say, well, I don't want to be dry. Sometimes being dry is good when it comes to you're dry to the things of the world. And you only want him. You only want what he can, what he can do for you, right? And he quenches your thirst, right? So, there's a level of holy that he's calling us for. And this is what I mean about this preparation, guys, of this, he's preparing his church. He's preparing his bride. You know, we're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. The bridegroom's coming for the bride, right? If you go to a wedding, the bride is never, she doesn't show up unprepared. She doesn't show up in just old rags, does she? She prepares herself. She puts the effort in. She puts the time in. We are the bride of Christ, and he's coming for us. We need to be prepared, okay? So there's a level of holy that he's calling us to that makes us accessible to deep thirst. A deep thirst that nothing else can quench. The being set apart has to take place first before you can really thirst for the things of God. You see, you may say, I'm thirsty for the things of God, but are you set apart? Because if you're partaking of these other thirst traps, then you're, it's not a true thirst for him, right? So the set-apart has to take place first, right? He wants you to detach yourself from the world and all of the counterfeit ways of quenching your thirst, the worldly boasts, the desires, the lust of the flesh, they're all like the broken cisterns in Jeremiah. They can't hold water. They can't hold water. They lead to compromise. And if you're still trying to quench your thirst with earthly things, it hinders your fellowship with God. It's not your fellowship can't be maintained if you're quenching your thirst in those other areas, right? So when we live in holiness unto God, it is us choosing to walk in the light that he reveals to us, which maintains our fellowship, right? So let's look at the word holy for a second from the new covenant, okay? The word holy from the new covenant, right? So regardless of what is sometimes taught, right? <laughs> in church circles, in Christian circles, holy is still relevant, Okay? It's not a word for the Old Testament. If you think it is, you obviously haven't read the New Testament properly, or you haven't read it from the correct lens, because it's all over the New Testament. Right? It's of the utmost importance to believers. You know, we need to stay balanced concerning the Word of God. Balance is good. Everyone say balance is good. Balance is important. Right? And when you get out of balance you compromise yourself, right? Stay in the middle of the road. Don't get into a ditch, right? You see, many times in the church circle today, the church chooses, and it's a choice, to lean very heavily on the grace aspect of the new covenant. So then if you try to bring up holiness or if you try to bring up anything like that, you're, it's like, that's, that's legalism. You're getting into legalism. I'm not getting into legalism. I'm getting into the word, I'm going to show you it's in the Word. So I'm not getting off into legalism. I'm getting into the Word. God's grace is there, but there's a true meaning of why His grace is there. Right? And it's not so you can live whatever way you want to live. Right? He's preparing His church, and we need to be, we need to be submitted onto holiness. Amen? So, the Word clearly talks about this. Right? Be Word balanced in all things. Don't get twisted, and it'll lead you right into a ditch. Right? And you will remain spiritually healthy if we're word balanced. So holiness is what we should be demonstrating. And this is important. It's not from a religious self-reliance stance. 
Because every time people think of the, sometimes people have that image in their head. It's like, oh, it's, it's such a bad word, holiness. It's such a bad word because religion has tainted it, right? And it's not from a, it's not from a, a self-reliant religious stance. It's from a Jesus-filled stance. You need to be so full of him that you're demonstrating holiness. It's a fruit produced from your new life in Christ. It's only when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit by walking in holiness that you begin to really thirst after God. The holiness comes first. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let I, may I remind you, 1 Peter is in the New Testament. It's New Covenant, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 13, it says, Therefore... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy." Be holy in all of your conduct. Be holy because I am holy, right? So the Greek word for holy is hegios. It means different, otherness, set apart, likeness of nature with the Lord and different from the world. You know what? This is not the time for the church to blend in. There's too much blending and not enough separation. Because people's walked away from holiness. Right? Oh, it's starting to get quiet. <laughs> he needs us to step out and become different than everything else in the world. This is where he's calling you to. But for us to get to the place of thirst that he is looking for, we need to detach ourselves from the world. Church, you can wear the hoodie. And I'm all for the hoodies. I have a few, right? You can wear the hoodie that says set apart. You can wear the bracelet that says consecrated. You can wear the t-shirt that you're getting from all of these newfangled websites and praise God for them, okay? You can wear that. But if there's not a detachment from the world, you're just gonna look like the world. You may know what to say when you're around certain company. You may know the right words to say here or there. Your, your, your vocabulary can change. But see, it's not about a few polished edges. He's not looking for somebody that has a few polished edges. He's looking for somebody that is a heart seeking after him. That goes beyond wearing a hoodie. It goes, it goes, it's a lifestyle of holiness, of being different, otherness. That's the, when you look it up in the Strongs, it's like otherness. There needs to be an otherness about you. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He is not going to pour out his presence on somebody who does not desire it. He's not going to pour out his presence on a people that don't thirst for him. If you want, if you have a mediocre thirst, you're going to have a mediocre outpouring. He'll fill those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's who he fills. When we're in that place of intimate fellowship with him, knowing him personally by first-hand experience, nothing else will do. You know, even down to the song choices this morning, the Holy Spirit was so in line. Nothing else will do. We sung about it here a few minutes ago. When you're in that place of fellowship with him, nothing else will do. Nothing else will quench your thirst. You won't go to the broken cisterns. You won't go to the waterways of the world to quench thirst because they won't. They may satisfy for a time being. But see, and, and even at that, when you come to experience him, when you've tasted and seen that he is good and you go and partake of something else, you'll realize how thirsty you really are. You'll realize how thirsty you really are. I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 2. This talks about, so turn over a page from where we were in 1 John 1, and it talks about this detachment from the world. And I'm going to read it from the classic, um, from the classic Amplified. It says, Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. 
So if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, which is the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, the pride of life, which is the assurance in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things. These things do not come from the Father, but they're from the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears, and with it the forbidden cravings, the passionate desires and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in his life, he remains forever. Oh, isn't that good news? He who carries out the will of God and his purposes in his life, he abides forever. So up to this point, right, let me, do, let me show you this. Up to this point, John's been writing about fellowship with God. He's writing about koinonia. We've just broke all that down. He's been seeing about how the test of truly knowing the Lord is whether or not you keep his commands. You'll find that at the start of chapter two. You want to know if you really know the Lord? You'll know if you keep his commands. Those who keep his commands are the ones that know the Lord, right? So he talks about this. He talks about how those who are truly abiding in Jesus will walk just as he walked. How did Jesus walk? Holiness. Remember we said last week, it's not just, oh yes, Jesus walked in great faith. Jesus healed the sick and, and uh, you know, he went around and fed the multitudes and those things are great and we should be doing those things. But he walked in holiness. He walked set apart. He was different. Everywhere Jesus went, people knew there was something different about him. He didn't blend in. There was many teachers. Church, there was many teachers that knew the scriptures, that were well-educated, but it was all head knowledge. It didn't lead to a transformed life. Jesus had fellowship with the Father, and that led to a transformation. Anyone that came to him and partook, it led to the transformation. So this is what John's talking about up to this point. And then he leads into what we've just read. Abide or detaching from the world, which we just read in verse 15. So he's, this is an important picture he's trying to build here, or the Holy Spirit's trying to give us. The detachment simply means that we should no longer have a desire to live any other way other than Jesus' way. Right? That's, that's where the shift in desire comes. What we once craved or want, what we once pursued after needs to change once we're in fellowship with God. Once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is an automatic separation that takes place, right? You're born again in your spirit. You're reborn, right? So you went from being dead to being alive. So there's an automatic separation that does take place on the inside, but that's not visible. There's a visible one that needs to take place, and that's a choice. That's why it says in that verse in 1 Peter that we just read, do not be, um, do not be conformed to the former lusts that you once did when you were ignorant. But see, you're not ignorant anymore. You know the truth. So choose the other way. We're not ignorant anymore, church. We can't blame that. Right? We've come to Jesus. We've received him. Now live like it. That's a choice. Right? 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Right? We're separated. Right? That happens automatically when we accept Jesus, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord. But there's a nightward change has to take place when we yield to the Holy Spirit on the inside. There's a nightward separation concerning your lifestyle, your actions. Now that you know the truth, you live differently. You, so, you know, and this is important, in Christian circles, it's not always blatant sin. It's not always blatant sin. If, there is, if it is blatant sin, then there's more serious heart issues that need to be worked on than, than just maintaining your fellowship here. It's about getting back into fellowship. But in maintaining your fellowship, it's not always blatant sin, right? Many times, it's the busyness. Remember we talked about how a few weeks ago, being in his presence, you're, when you're in that nook, you come out and you're, you're full of the oil and you're slippery. You're slippery, nothing can stick to you because you're full of the oil of his presence. But sometimes the busyness, the nuke is back here. The nuke's over here. But we're all out here. We're being the Marthas. We're all out here in the busyness, in the serving, in interest. Oh, but I'm doing it for the kingdom, but I'm doing it for him, but I'm doing it for him. But you're sacrificing being with him. And the busyness should never sacrifice. Social media. <laughs> 
And this is something over the past couple of years. Oh my goodness, going back five years ago, like I spent so much of my time on social media or even on, on different, I was pulling from different outlets instead of pulling from him. It's the busyness when we could be spending time with him. It's the distraction, right? It can be subtle things here or there which affect your otherness. Church, you know what you expose yourself to, it affects you. You may think, I'm a, I'm a strong person, I won't, I won't, that won't affect me. If you expose yourself to it long enough, it will. It will affect you, especially because, and if you're exposing yourself to it, and you're, it means you're not in fellowship with God, then it's definitely gonna affect you. And sometimes the rubbish, the tripe, that we see on social media. And we're taking that in constantly, constantly, constantly. And we're giving that all of our time and all of our attention. It affects your otherness. When we blend in too much, there's always compromise. There's always compromise. It may not be blatant, but sometimes it's something permissible. We're permitting things. Oh, but I'm not doing it, but you're permitting it. It's affecting your otherness. It leads you to different water sources in the world to quench your thirst, which are counterfeits that don't truly satisfy. You know, the word talks about in Song of Solomon about the little foxes that spoil the vine. Don't let the little foxes in to spoil the vine. Don't allow the little foxes to come in to affect your fellowship with God. And what this is talking about, what this is implying is, what is dangerous is not always obvious. What is dangerous is not always obvious. Those little foxes can be just a wee tad of this or a wee pinch of this or a wee pinch of that. And it's not always obvious. And, and uh, deception, oh, we need to be mindful of deception. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It's prevalent in these last days. Don't be deceived. When we're set apart and different, submitting to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you develop a thirst that only Jesus, the fountain of living water, can satisfy. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to run swiftly towards holiness. Why would the Holy Spirit tell us to do that if Jesus paid it all? Jesus paid it all. I don't need to do anything. It's not about what I do in this life. Jesus paid it all. Well, then why does Hebrews 12, 14 say to run swiftly towards holiness? Because God's grace empowers you to be faithful to God. It doesn't mean that you can do what you want. It, by, the Bible says to run swiftly towards holiness. Our job, yes, we're, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We, yes, we are recreated in righteousness and holiness. Amen. Yes, we are one spirit with him. These things happen when we accept Jesus. Yes, we are justified by his grace but now we need to remain sanctified. The sanctification doesn't happen automatically. You need to do that. You need to be sanctified. You need to prepare yourself. You need to be submitted onto holiness. He's justified you, now you sanctify yourself. Amen? And it's not a, you're trying to do it all yourself. It's not that. It's not a, oh, it's a, oh I can never do this. His grace is there. That's why his grace is there. That's why his Holy Spirit is there to give you the power to resist all things. Amen? So we may desire the end result of fellowship with God, but we need to remain faithful to him in order to stay thirsty for him. Stay faithful and then you'll stay thirsty. When you fellowship with him from this place, he'll pour out his spirit more and more and he hears the call of the thirsty. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I just, this is important and I'll, I'll wind down with this, right? In Luke chapter 24, now I've taught from this portion of scripture many times, but I, uh, this, <laughs> the Lord showed me this, right? As I, as I was doing this during the week. Luke chapter uh, 24. It's about the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus has just been crucified, Right? This is important. In verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, which is Jesus just been crucified. And right, they didn't know he'd risen at this stage. So it was, 
while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? When then the other one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happened to us, to, to, which happened there in these days? And behold, Jesus said to them, What things? So they said to him, and bear in mind, these were followers, followers of Jesus. Okay? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at, the, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then when they drew near to the village when they were going, when, where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up and that very hour returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he, known, and how he, and, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, once they arrived at their destination, the Bible tells us that Jesus was about to go on ahead. Verse 28, it says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. So Jesus was about to go on ahead. He had just traveled all of that way with them, talking about the scriptures. They may not have recognized Jesus in his glorified body, which needed to be spiritually discerned, okay? But they knew something was on him, and they wanted more. They knew something was on him and they wanted more. How do we know that? Because it says their hearts burned with passion when he was reading the scriptures to them. When they urged him to stay with them, he obliged. They were hungry and thirsty for more. Jesus will always respond to those who are thirsty for him. If they hadn't have been thirsty for him, he was, he was away. Why did he stay? Because their hearts burned for him. Is your heart burning for him this morning? Are you thirsty for him? Because he'll pour according to your desire. The thirst for him will lead to such an intimacy that nothing else will be able to pull your attention away from him. This is what true fellowship looks like, church. This is worth protecting. This is worth protecting and investing your time into. The many waterfalls of the world will try and draw people to come and partake. They'll be trying to pull people here, there, and everywhere. Come and partake. We need to choose to be different because we are different. Otherness. Be submitted onto holiness. The detachment from the world and its pleasures will lead us to being set apart in our lifestyle and actions, will will, which will produce a true thirst for fellowship with Jesus. You want to maintain your fellowship with God? You want to be, get to that place of thirsting for him? Submit yourself unto holiness. Detach yourself from the things of the world. Stop partaking of the counterfeit Coke bottles or water bottles or whatever else the world has to offer to quench your thirst. The woman at the well, she came to fill her buckets. She had an encounter with Jesus 
and she left without what, with what, she left without what she came for. But what she left with was far greater. Let me tell you about a man that has told me everything that I've ever done. See, it led to an experience, and the experience is what changed her life. He is our source of truth, satisfaction, and fulfillment. There's a pattern all throughout First John, and it's, al- it's about allowing the truth to abide in us. The truth we first heard it led us to seeing, it led us to gazing upon, and it led us to experiencing him personal. personally. We need to guard our hearts and minds and mind what we are exposing ourselves to. Our relationship with God is the most important thing. Invest yourself into it. When the body of Christ, and I truly believe this, church, when the body of Christ gets to that place of completely detaching from the world, submitting onto holiness, thirsting after the fountain of living water, and having true fellowship with Jesus, which is what we've just spoken about, it will be the glorious church without spot or wrinkle that our Lord's coming back for. You want to be the glorious church? You want to be the bride that's ready for him? Detach yourself. Be submitted unto holiness. Thirst for him. Don't get your thirst from those broken cisterns. Don't quench your thirst from those broken cisterns. Be ready to do your part. And I'm going to close with this psalm in the Passion Translation. I'm just going to read it to you. And it is powerful and it perfectly explains everything that I'm, this church, this psalm perfectly describes true fellowship with God. It is pure, it is genuine, with no thoughts of self. It is a life of worship and surrender to the King of Kings. And when we taste and see his goodness, continually drinking from his presence, we will be satisfied like never before. Like never before. So let me read this. Psalm 63, I'm going to read from verse 1. O God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that cannot be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily I will worship you passionately and with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night until you're under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With, jo- with passion, I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip in my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. Oh my goodness. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. Are you yearning for his presence? Are you at that place that you're thirsting for him, that nothing else can satisfy, church? That's where he's getting you to. That's where he's calling you to. But if you're desiring for him to pour out your presence when you're putting in a mediocre effort, he's not going to do it. He stayed with the disciples on the road to Emmaus because they burned passionately for him or else he was going. Amen. Praise God. I'll leave it there. Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for this time together. Oh, we honor you this morning, Lord. Oh, Father, accept, Lord, our praises to you and our worship to you this morning, Lord, as our, as our hearts, Lord, for thirsting for you, desiring for you, Lord. As we've set this time apart to come together as a body, Lord. I thank you for a desire to burn in us like never before for you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the strength which you've given to us by Holy Spirit to detach ourselves from the things of this world, to stop plugging into the waterways and stop trying to get our our thirst quenched from the unrighteousness that's in the world. And help us receive from you, Jesus, the fountain of living water that quenches our thirst like nothing else. 
Oh, Father, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves onto holiness. We run swiftly, like your word says, towards holiness because we want to honor you with our lives, Lord. We want to be prepared. We want to be the bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. We want to be the glorified church that you're coming back for so close from now, Lord. Oh, we don't want to be caught in the stands spectating, Lord. We want to be participating. We want to be right in the thick of what you want to do in this land in these last days. Oh, an outpouring of your spirit like never before, Lord. Use us. Fill us up, Lord, as we thirst for you. Praise your mighty name, Jesus. Thank you for, a yield, for yielded hearts. Soft hearts, Lord. That can be molded. And shaped. Our lives to be molded into looking more like you in everything we do, Lord. I thank you, Father, Lord, as we exit out of this place, you're faithful. Oh, to watch over us. You give your angels charge over us, protecting us and keeping us as we go about our days. We thank you, Lord, that we dwell in this secret place. We dwell in fellowship with you. We dwell in intimacy with you. So we're under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, you protect us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that no evil will befall us. No plague, no sickness, no disease will prosper against us. You keep us safe from all harm. We're so full of you, Jesus, that nothing else can even be in us. You flush everything out that's not of you. So we thank you, Father, for our health and our strength. We thank you for our families, Lord, for their protection, for their health. We thank you, Father, Lord, for opportunities to walk in love to share the good news of the gospel, to be the church that you've called us to be. Thank you for the boldness that you've given us, Lord, to speak the truth in love, not to shy away, not to blend in, which leads to compromise. We want to stand out. We want to have otherness. We want to be set apart, consecrated to you. So I thank you, Lord, that we walk in faith and love towards you. Help us this week, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, I praise you, Lord. Thank you for your presence this morning. And we declare, Lord, that here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.